Hey, everybody. Welcome to the cast with Sam and Mike. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, this is a conversation that Sam and I have that's open, candid, mainly raw. Don't really edit a lot, a lot of it out. Um, just about things we care about and things that you'll care about, too. And so we hope that you'll follow along today. And um, any questions you got, you can hit us up at risencitychurch.com slash cast. The other day, I was driving home, um, and sometimes I occasionally listen to CBC Radio, um, talk radio, because you know that's where it's at yeah, right now. 100%. I feel like I'm an old man. But it's like the original podcasting. It's the original podcasting. And, and they had this guy on uh, from Harvard Divinity School. I forget his name, actually. But he was part of a group that did some research, um, essentially about religion and millennials. And, and everyone keeps saying that uh, millennials don't like church. They're, they're leaving the church. They're going away from the church. And... Um, generally speaking, I understand why people say that, uh, but the interesting thing that he found out that he was trying to talk about and explain was essentially, and this is what's crazy to me, this is just ridiculous, that um, it's not that millennials don't like religion or don't like spirituality, which I think people would recognize. But millennials they just, love spirituality. But they do. But he said, he said the new, essentially the, the new church communities that, that at least he was studying are, are CrossFit gyms and SoulCycle classes. I don't even know what Soul Cycle is. I don't really know either. All I know is that you stand in a room with a bike. Not stand, obviously you're not oh, you're biking. Cycling, okay. Right, you're in, you're in a room. You're on a bike, and he even described how like they're set up like religious rooms with like pews of bikes, an altar at the front with a guy on and some lights hanging up, and he's saying some like motivational things, and there's writing on the wall, and it's transformation, the language of breakthrough, and he basically was saying that all the elements of religious community. Mm. Of, of liturgy, of like a, of a known practice and a rhythm of, of, of a sermon yeah. or, or, or a service, right, happens in these, in these CrossFit gyms, in these classrooms. It's a place where people suffer together, literally, because like they're actually putting their body through this. Self-flagellation. He actually called it that. that it's, like it's, it's like a secular um, version of it where you're putting yourself through pain to seek transformation ultimately. He even said, he goes, if you're familiar with Calvinist theology, you would hear a lot of that kind of language in the language of these gyms. And what they were finding out was that all the things of sort of transcendence, of meaning, of memory, of big questions, of community, of, of suffering, of um, wanting to be motivated or find a breakthrough, kind mm. of, the things that used to be kind of you go to church for, you have this transcendent moment, you think deeply, yeah. has been taken mm. um, and applied, he, what he literally called secular kind of church environments that are crossfit gyms and and soul cycles and to the point where they said that the guys and girls that they were interviewing for for the study said that they would get text message from their group members yeah um about pastoral questions right, right about hey should i divorce my spouse or not hey what do i do about my marriage problem hey i have this problem at work what can i do about it mm. and, and he said they're obviously not equipped in any way to deal with that no, so no. they started this is crazy they started linking up the owners and the class instructors with priests and nuns to teach them how to be secular pastors for these people 
Right. It seems like it's a little bit like counterintuitive to the strategy and mission of the church, though. That they're like, are these priests and nuns actually willingly offering this kind of advice to them? Yeah, it's 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 because they recognize that hey, millennials are gathering here, and how do we help them? And and and, and I don't necessarily say they would obviously be the same kind of missional theology that we would espouse. But um, what's crazy to me is is that you know. Basically, the guy saying, you know, this whole generation of people, they still gather. They still want transcendence. They, they, they still want some kind of experience. They still want to figure out how to get over their pain or their breakthrough or their forgiveness or whatever it yeah. is. Right? Who you, like apparently some questions like who you're writing for today or what breakthrough are you pursuing or some dumb thing like that. Um, very highly motivational and very sort of like, like that. And so he's finding a generation who desires this, but they assume they cannot find those things in a church. Right. And they assume that if I go to a church and get the religion or an organized side of it, somehow it's it's not as effective. Right. And, and he says, true, that like they're spending four or five days a week with the same people, developing deep relationships. Like hmm. like we talk about suffering together in, in a very physical way. And he, he goes like, it's sort of a, he says the reason why they go to it is, is kind of shallow in some sense because you're basically paying for a membership to work out and make your body beautiful, which health is obviously a good thing. Mm-hmm. But he says that they, they, they might go there, at least they they report going there for this kind of more shallow-ish desire and finding deep community. Oh. And and what got me sort of weirded out was like, it's great, I'm, I'm, people need that. Yeah, community is awesome. Right? <laughs> but what, what I couldn't believe, and as a pastor, obviously this is my bias, but it's like Christians, a lot of times churches, right, will talk about, how, you know, that church down the road or, you know, that new church coming in or as a church plant, right? Like, you know, that church plant's going to take our... Listen to me. Number one, competition in church is just stupid because we're on the same team. Mm-hmm. But our competition today, you know, isn't isn't another church, right? Yeah. It's CrossFit gyms, right? It, it, it's it's community at, at Hustle and Flow and SoulCycle, these places that are building deep or what people perceive as deep community, mm-hmm. place of transformation, right? That then try to speak to the soul when they are ill-equipped to do so. And, and that's not to degrade them in any way, just they study bodies, right? Churches are supposed to be diagnosing souls and figuring that stuff out. And and it's like, the thing that I was thinking about it, and this is this is probably a bigger conversation, but um, how, I can't, the way I kind of see it at least, and this, th- this could be wrong, I'm open for, for obviously a conversation around it, is that the way that Uber messed up the taxi industry, mm right <laughs> crossfit's gonna mess up church community oh man right because like four or five times a week like you can hardly get a christian to give more than one and a half hours yeah to to be part of a church let alone a connect group or something like that when you they will when people will give mo- money yeah right like it's not 100%. cheap right yeah. money and and you know they're four, five, six seven hours of their week to this other community and and it's like the thing, the thing that was founded upon hope, joy, community, agape, selfless love, caring for the, like the place that was literally built to be a community to help people wherever they're at is losing to a gym. And that, that just, that just blows my mind, yeah. right? It's, it's like, I don't know, it's, 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 as a church planner, I'm inspired by it as well because I'm like, what's the opportunity here? Like yeah. so much, but anyway, I just heard that and I was like, that, that sort of just, it didn't tick me off, obviously, because, like, I love people and <laughs> I want them to meet Jesus. But it's like, like, 
the, the shock of the church is failing mm-hmm. and not in the ways I think that we think, yeah. right? Like, like those gyms, yes, are nice and they look fancy. They have excellent programming and blah, blah, blah. But people don't report going there for that. They go there because they found family. Yep. Right? I've and heard that, that so much in any kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess athletic or aerobic or whatever pursuit or activity you're into. Like I just, people, I've, it's a lot of lonely people that are going there and they're finding and they're feeling that void in their life um, that they're missing. Like I, you know, I hear that especially with tech workers, I think mm-hmm. people going that are not from the city originally, they go to a new city, they find, you know, a high paying job, but they, they just have that void in their life. There's no community. They don't have roots there. And they find that at the gym and uh, you know, it's something again, I think, yeah, I think it's that suffering together that really brings people close. Yep, and, sure. and I mean, I think, uh, if I'm going to contrast how a gym differs from a church, it's that, I mean, when I go to a gym, I, I really feel this intense physical feeling. Like mm-hmm. it's like, and it's even, you get a high from it. Like if you're working out for about an hour, like the endorphins are just rushing. And I don't, I mean, I don't know that, <laughs> I don't know that you're going to get that same feeling in church. I don't, I don't think the church can really offer you that unless our solution is to uh, start an aerobic church where we're... Hey, know, we're, you're a church planner now, man. Go start it. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah, during worship, we're all just like moving. No, but actually, and... I was thinking about that because because they were talking about that idea of like that the body is part of it. Yeah. And, you know, I come from a charismatic background where this is going to sound so, kind of weird, but like bodily expression in worship mm-hmm. is actually very much encouraged, right? Yeah. That That... I do believe that the way that we express ourselves and enter into a service through our physical body, like we are physical beings, we have bodies, right, is actually an expression of what's going on in our soul. And that if we're there and we are disconnected physically, we're disconnected emotionally and even spiritually sometimes. I'm not saying everybody's like that, but I've found that to be the case where it's, it's not, inter- it's, it's not, it's not um, surprising to me that often churches with, with very passionate and well-done contemporary worship that does try to engage every part of the being yeah. are the places where people find passion because of this very thing, right? Like, like, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to get up there and be like, Hey man, you know, welcome to church time to do 50 pushups and then we'll get into it. I could think like that hit a, cu- a certain kind of audience and maybe that be, might be a solution. But I think thinking about it is, is just what is, why is the church not using kind of the same ideas of, liturgy in a new way right of yeah. rhythm in a new way of of engaging the body in, in a new way because yes you're right i would argue that you're not going to get the endorphin rush of a workout but i've been in church services where right every emotion has come up right i'm like like to me the most impactful church services i remember i don't remember the speaker to be honest and that's offensive to me as a preacher but i don't right i remember the weeping yeah. i remember the, the the joy i remember the the i would argue true spiritual euphoria Right of being in the presence of God, and like that cannot be compared in my mind, obviously, to those places. But like to me, it's it's humbling. What have they tapped into that the church has just decided? You know what? I'll I'll give that up. Yeah. Or or and it might not be the church, but like the people, like the 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 Christians in a community that, you know, at the end of the day, the strength of those gyms are the people. Right? Are the people who go there to be in community? And yeah, this Ron Schregler comes in, a tech guy from out of town, and he shows that the first thing he gets is, hey, my name is Mike, and let's go work out together, bro. And you're going to get pain today, but I'll help you push through and we're yell at each other and love each other and hug each other and then go home, right? Like, 
what are we, I don't know, it just, it, it just, it sort of, it just, it piques my interest of like, why are we failing so miserably to gain community? I get, I get that we are also dealing in the, in the realm of ideas and changing someone's ideas is different than changing someone's body shape. Yeah, it definitely takes, I would, I would say it takes more time even mm -hmm. than changing someone's body shape. Well, yes and no. It depends. But also, Paul would say it was in pretty instant. But, you know, in that, say, in, in that sense, still, I still think it's like there's there's something there where, I don't know, it, like passion, community, purpose, suffering, authenticity, sweat, blood, tears, right? Like those real human things that somehow we've... <sighs> I don't know, filtered in the church or um, thought were inappropriate or like that's where I'm always someone who will always lean towards charismatic worship, mm. which I call emotion rich worship because there is emotional worship and that's what we can get into that discussion. But like that emotion richness of, of my being, everything I am surrendering to Jesus in a moment that does like, I think it does hit those those deep parts of us because it's it's part of that transcendent experience i think yeah i think so this is a really interesting general topic because it just opens up like where do people find religious experiences things that are offered in the church away from the church and i think probably the one that would that would resonate most with my life or that i've maybe experienced more than a crossfit gym or, or going to yoga or something like that would be um like independent music rock concerts things like that mm. um Kind of, I know, I, I was at a show on New Year's Eve, um, that was it was very lively. It was in someone's house, and I mean, like if you want to think of like an, an analog for like a startup church, like there it is right there. It's people going gathering and uh, taking part in this in music. Like, I mean, there's been concerts I've been to, especially when I was younger. I think when I was you know hadn't seen it all, um, where I you know it was really euphoric. It was like it was. In, crazy the emotions that i felt being at that concert and just being like in that setting people pushing each other around people just having fun screaming the same lyrics together in unison like and it, like i think that probably parallels a bit more with the church but a little more youth group <laughs> yeah a little bit more youth group but like those are i think it, like crossfit isn't isn't the first uh i guess alternative to church that has come about um but I think like what all of these things miss is they don't, I don't think they give you a satisfying answer about it, eternal life and eternity. And I think, uh, you know, I was reading in Henry now and he talks about, he talks about ways that people try to uh, make eternal life for themselves, whether that's having children or making art, putting things into the world that survive beyond themselves. But none of that really is as satisfying, I think, as what our faith would uh, would tell you about eternal life. Well, and that's even right. I would even pare that down to the search for significance, mm. right? Because, and, and I've run up with this with a lot of people where it's like, I'm trying to build something. I'm trying to make something. I'm trying to find something so that it outlives my name, yeah. right? Like my name can go into the generations as someone who gets you know, written in the history books. And I've, I've talked to a lot of people who like have that desire, which we forget like 1% of the 1% of humans have ever built a life so significant that you know generations from now they're talking about mm -hmm. right and 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 i think that you're right like there is this desire because i don't know if we have as a culture the language for it like 
that we we search and we desire something beyond the present, mm-hmm. reaching far beyond my my immediate life, and you know there is a I think good desire to create greatness. Uh, obviously, I think that that's something that in us that we need to tack into. But you're right, the replication of my life over time through what I create, what I do, um, the the desire to you know, almost reproduce this thing called eternal life in a way that is within the temporal, mm-hmm. um, I think is kind of a bait and switch a little bit, right? Because, it, But it, it gives us the ability to seek immortality without God, right? Yeah. It's a very, it'd be very humanist in, yeah. in, in that sense. Um, and, and I think, I think we have to meet people at that place, right? Like, I don't think that's actually a bad thing mm-hmm. necessarily. Obviously, I would agree it's sinful because, you know, you're doing your life without God and he's, you know, God and we need him. Um, but the idea that that, like, is somehow antithetical, I don't think it's true. I, I think that that actually is a very real human thing mm-hmm. and that we actually want to tap into that. Well, why do you feel that way? Why do you... Why do you dream of those things? Why, why do you think that your name must be that significant or your life must be that significant? What What is driving those things? And if it's the idea that, you know, somehow that means like I'm worth something, mm-hmm. does that like, because at, at some point, why why do we want that? If if my life is a blip yeah. and, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's a cosmic accident random you know molecules jumping around together and happen just to do like why do we want such a long-term significance like i think that does actually speak to something of the human condition that we don't have language for in a modern secular yeah, world it's like it's like if you made if i were to make a big difference in the world and, and be known well beyond my death for some great achievement that i had while i was alive like i'm not even going to be alive to appreciate that or mm-hmm. reap any kind of benefit from that so why do we care so much about our legacy and and yeah, just living beyond this life that we've been given. That's a very, um, I think, real question for people. And I think we, because I, 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 to me, it's man's search for meaning, right? It's that, it's that baseline we need. We are creatures of purpose, creatures of pattern, creatures of meaning. We, we like, there are people who sort of just call us meaning machines. We're just always trying to create meaning. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they're wrong, and I don't think it, it's wrong. Like, I think we were made to do that, and ultimately for us as Christians, we, we find that fully in, you know, we were made to glory in God and exalt, and exalt Him and enjoy Him forever and all those basic, you know, catechism answers. But they're, I think they're good answers in this, that there is an innate human knowledge that my life has a kind of value to it. Yeah. And to not somehow create that somehow bring that to bear somehow invest that well is somehow wrong yeah right it's somehow bad and i know we don't like using those language or using that kind of language today which is again bad but there is this idea that i think people don't have language for the religious desire they have Mm -hmm. and and that's where i think getting back to like the original topic and then is that these places offer a kind of secular vocabulary yeah. for what their heart's searching for, oh, for sure. right? Like we, because I, I, and I, I think that gets back to the idea of ideas, right? Like we are competing ideas. Yeah. Like religion is ideas about the world that are different, right, than someone's. And, and you're going to a place where you can get the idea 
of transformation, the idea of community, the, the, the idea of meaning and, and, and forgiveness and whatever without the religion attached to it. Yeah. So I want the stuff, yeah. right? I, I just don't want um, the name or, or I, I, want, I want the shell, right? I don't actually want the, the, the substance. And I think that's the dangerous part is that then we get to this place where we're feeding a lot true, genuine, human, good desire with fast food. Yeah, 100%. Like, at what point do you burn out on uh, what those ideas are, are feeding you? Like, I, I just can't see there being that many CrossFit lifers. You know what I mean? Like, I I think, you know, it will wear off on people over time. Like, uh, I, I mean, it hasn't been around that long, so I don't have anything to back that up. But I just don't see it offering the kind of satisfaction that people are after. That being said, so I think I want to I want to um, dial it back maybe a little bit to the just the idea of, you know, CrossFit and these things, things replacing religion mm-hmm. for people and maybe what we can learn from that is uh, like how often are people going and what time of the week are people going? Like, how is that working? I, I don't, I don't have, I'm not part of a gym. <laughs> I need to work out more to be honest. So, but you have been part of a gym before. Like when would you go to the gym? I always went in the morning. Yeah. I always went like five thirty in the morning when I was doing it. Then I got kids and then I got sick and then yeah. sick was like just a long, t- it wasn't serious sick. It was just lots of sick at all the same time. Yeah. And just to throw my schedule. But yeah, I would get up early cause I want to get there before work for mm-hmm. the rush. Um, but I'd go, you know, four or five times a week when I was in my height of, of going, yeah. um, which, you know, is, you know, about four or five hours out of my week. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Yeah. Like I wonder, I don't know, like, are, do, do we just need to have church more often? Do we need to like offer more connect groups or more, you know, things opportunity or like, something, I mean, right? I think, I mean, our church, definitely, if you're part of our church, you can attend service on Sunday. You can be part of a connect group. You can meet up with people that, you know, mm-hmm. at church whenever you want to, um, like I think I think we do offer a lot of spaces to connect, but like I don't know, maybe we just have to reconsider some of those models. I know well, I I really want to do like morning prayer, like that's something I yeah. like to. And that's do. the thing I've been thinking about is is how do we learn this? Because like again, we I, we have to be honest in the sense that no one's paying to be part of church, right? We're actually like legally not allowed to do that, but also you know philosophically, we were not going to make people yeah. pay to be part of the church. That happened once and went bad, um, and we don't want. And so I think there's that kind of like. There's a different level of monetary commitment. I've given money. I'm paying for this membership, so I got to be there. So there's a there maybe different factors. Yeah. But at some point, it switches from I'm paying this membership to this is worth the value that I'm putting in, right? Yeah. And I think that's where it gets down to is is what is the value? Because that ultimately I think drives everything that we do. Like, do we value this? And it's always a trade off, right? It's almost yeah. like I, like I've been looking at some economic stuff lately because why not yeah. right and the basic idea of, of value right in trading and and the idea that you know we're always essentially making value decisions right yeah. this money is less valuable than the thing it can buy me so i'm willing to give it to opportunity you, right? cost all, all that, that stuff yeah. and so i think this and the same is true for for church and for community for anything is that the thing that i have to trade is time in mm-hmm. this case um maybe some other activity but I'm not recognizing the inherent value of community then, right? right? Or that that community or the church or belonging to what we would consider the greatest thing on earth, right? Yeah. The, the church, the mission of Jesus. Um, and, and to be honest, right, usually, right, usually 
we fill the space that we could be in community with with often and, and i don't necessarily mean this in a bad way but kind of more selfish things right things that just seek my comfort like we are a comfort addicted yeah right um it's just culture. abundant well it is and it's easy and, and and again even the idea of crossfit right like at the end of the day right i work out uh to be healthy which is self-interested which is not necessarily bad like i think c.s lewis makes a really good case that self-interest and self-centeredness are, are different and yeah. you know you should be self-interested in some level but at, the fact that a lot of people do work out mm-hmm. to look a certain way yeah. right uh, to be a certain kind of attractive to mm-hmm. to to f- feel that out i'm not saying everyone does so don't be hating on us but, but there is a, a good amount like i know that would be my desire like i just want to look a little better you know whatever yeah. um i think for me it's a guilt thing it's not even what well, even that right <laughs> that's still selfish in the sense of like i'm trying to uh, uh, i'm trying to absorb that guilt in yeah. some way and i'm gonna go do it i'm gonna do my penance right yeah. um and and so and for some people it's probably self-righteous they're like hey right. look at me i'm awesome i'm working out for some people it's genuinely healthy and that's awesome and you're great you're better than all of us because anyways uh but even that right like it's it, it's saying that this is a good thing for me and that's where it starts um, and I think this the fundamental call of Jesus is never about me. I think that's maybe where where it, the rubber meets the road a little bit. It's like this isn't for you. This isn't about you. You get a huge benefit, yeah, by being part of a community and being part of the mission of Jesus. He saved us, he powers us, he changes us. Like I'm a better human being because of what I have. But part of the output of that is always for the other. Yeah, and where you know these other places, you know, ba- concerts or because I like the concert. Yeah, you know. CrossFit so I get healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, the church is so I can serve people. And I think that might be one of those things. It's like church and the mission of Jesus demands of us. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe that's where the, maybe mm-hmm. that is the big thing is like, I can go to these places and, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, and that sounds so cynical for, of me. And I think, and I don't want to do that because I think there's genuine community happening mm-hmm. in all these different places. And that's good. And we, I hope people find, because I, loneliness, is an epidemic, I would argue. Hundred percent. Right, yeah. we're disconnected. So finding community to help people, awesome, good, do that. But I think the best place for community, where we can truly find healing, right, is not in the self-help, self-motivated space. It really is in the self-sacrificial, uh, you know, love of a church community that's based in Jesus. Because grace, forgiveness, hope, like those are the themes that drive. It's never about me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just don't, I don't see how I can derive meaning from just improving myself. Like I, I don't, I want to improve the world around me and improve the lives of people around me and, and contribute towards something that, that does that. I, I don't know. I think well, I have to I, think about that. I think they're more. intertwined. Yeah. They have to be right. Cause to, like, this is where I think, and this might blow into the bigger conversation, the idea of self-interest and self-centeredness are, are, is key, right? Because I do need to be self-interested in the sense of, you know, I want to you know, be with Jesus. Right? That's a benefit to me. I want to be forgiven of sin. I want to be a better human, better husband, mm-hmm. right? And, and those things are, in a sense, self-interested. But I also want to be a better husband so I can help raise better kids, have a better marriage, be better for Emily. Yeah. Um, and I think the output, this is where like self-centeredness is the desire ultimately to make life about me and my pursuits and my wants and I'm getting better for me or I deserve this or whatever, where I think self-interest in the Christian sense would be growing and becoming like Jesus, putting myself in a place where I can become better so that the outworking of it is what? Love. Mm. Always. Right? Love is the demand of Jesus. 
on us. And that is always like, love is not selfish. It's like, and people like, we got to love yourself. Don't even get me started on that. We love ourselves way too much. That's the point. That's why we said love, love your neighbor as yourself because you already love yourself. You know exactly what you would want someone to do for you because you do it for yourself all the time, mm. right? Like, like I don't think that the issue is not necessarily self-love. It might be understanding our worth. It might be understanding our value. It might be understanding some of those things for sure. And I'm not going to say that that's not an issue, but but I would argue that that, that self-interested and self-centered is so... It's nuanced, but it's different. It's significantly different because I want to create a better world. But that that happens because people find hope that I've already had. Mm-hmm. That that people know yeah. Jesus. That that in our case, obviously, it starts in faith, but then moves everywhere else. Like it's you know, it has to extend beyond the church walls. It has to get to people's lives. It has to do this. And I think that's the that's the irony of it is is to try to speak about self improvement that never ever gets to denying the self yeah is a lesser version of self improvement yeah yeah it's kind of a misplaced desire isn't it um or just a not a fully formed desire yeah i would say it's not fully formed in that way because yeah, because even the best, because we live in the day and age of motivational speakers, and people are dismotivated, unmotivated, whatever. I get it; it's true. Um, but I also think it's because we are, we are so, we are so self-absorbed yeah. that we actually motivation needs to get out of myself, right? Get away from myself. Stop living just in the pursuit of all that I want and I think I need and I have this and. And, and like if we can break free, I think from some of that stuff, we actually can find deeper meaning and deeper. Like I was actually talking to one of my a friend, a barber actually of mine, and we were talking about life and in how mainly around this idea of joy and meaning in life, and in how you know all this stuff sort of fades away, eventually just gets old. And I was like, well, you know what, never gets old. And I said to him, I was like, whatever gets old is serving people. Because there's always someone new to serve. There's always someone new to help. And mm-hmm. in the goal of that, you are hopefully going to become a better human being, empowered in our case by the Spirit of God to be more like Jesus. And, and in that case, like, like if your life is lived to serve people, you will never run out of things to do. Amen. Ever, right? Like it's just a, like in. And I feel like when we when we live in the pursuit simply of self improvement, mm-hmm. and not self sacrifice, or not self discipline. Because self-discipline, I believe, will lead to other improvement. Like if you're truly disciplining your soul, and we would argue the best way to do that is through the disciplines of our faith and and through the life of Jesus, then you're going to eventually come to the point of you have to love people. Like I think I think that's the funny thing about following Jesus is we come to him in moments of our weakness often. And he's like, yeah, I'll strengthen you now so you can go love people better, that you can be a better witness, that you can give mercy where you couldn't before. Because like even like the outworking of our faith is always social. Yeah. Right? That's where it always ends. It, yeah. it starts with us and always ends social. It never, mm-hmm. it never is like me going somewhere just to simply receive. Yeah. It's always you come to the cross, then you get sent out. Right. It's, it, it's like you come and you die to self and then you go and you live for people. Yeah. Like that's sort of just the method of the faith. And I think that demand is confrontational to the modern culture of, you know, what deserves your time, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you better, whatever makes you you know, feel like you've improved today. But what that doesn't answer is it makes you better for what purpose? 
Well, and I think that, that that would be a fundamental question is why are you feeling... And if it's just because, you know, that's maximizing my potential as a human being, for what end? Yeah. Right? What end is this? And and that's where I think we, do, we have to be careful because I don't ever want people to not do that. Mm. Because to me, right... We, we, we would have a worldview that says, yes, you should be doing that. God's given you gifts, capacities, callings. You should be maximizing those things, so please do. Mm. But I would just say that part of that 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 impulse yeah. is not necessarily tied to the proper worldview, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Right? And so I think that might be that conversation a little bit. Hey, if you're part of our church community, we'd love to have you out on Thursday, February 7th for our first Heart and Soul of 2019. It's going to be an awesome time, so mark your calendars and see you there. That's Thursday, February 7th, 7 p.m. at Creekside Kitchener. We talk a lot in our culture about how polarized everything is right now, and I think I think that's not even necessarily true or it doesn't have to be true because I think all you need to do is just crack your own echo chamber a little bit and just listen to some other perspectives and especially read some other perspectives that are more than just what you see on your Twitter feed. So last year I read a book called Bad Religion by Ross Duthat, who is a Catholic and a conservative in that order, um, as, as all Christian people who engage in politics should be. And while I don't agree with all of his uh, his views that he writes in the New York Times and whatnot, I think uh, I think his opinions on uh, the virtues of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant men is is kind of appalling. And um, sex robots that was an interesting take that he had. But <laughs> but anyway, uh, his book Bad Religion is really excellent. I do recommend everyone reads it. And uh, I, it really challenged me um, in one way because you know he's a Catholic and. Uh, he had this to say about evangelicals as they were um, kind of assuming more of an influence in the Christian world um, back in the 70s and 80s. Um, so he's talking about this this guy. He's kind of quoting him a bit. He says, Although evangelicalism does sustain a thriving religious tradition for itself, Smith's analysis concluded, it does not fare so well when it comes to achieving its goal of transforming the world for Christ. Evangelicals had entered the halls of power, but they hadn't even begun to remake them in a Christian image. From Ivy League to Hollywood, the evangelicals' presence was accepted, but not necessarily welcomed, and their influence rarely extended beyond the narrow footholds they had carved out for themselves. In part, the problem seemed to be one of talent. Either evangelicals still weren't sufficiently successful at nurturing intellectual and artistic gifts in their churches and communities, or else the most creative young believers tended to drift away from the fold. The roster of evangelical theologians and Bible scholars was impressive, but the ranks of evangelical novelists, filmmakers, poets, and public intellectuals were strikingly thin, especially compared to the Christian flowering of the mid-century. There is no real evangelical analog to W.H. Auden or T.S. Eliot, no impressive evangelical literary school to match the Catholic novelists of the 1940s and 50s, no evangelical public intellectual who enjoyed the kind of respect from non-Christians that Reinhold Niebuhr and other Golden Age figures had commanded. 
Evangelical apologetics leaned heavily on long-dead figures such as Lewis. Evangelical political thought depended on contemporary Catholics such as Newhouse and Novak. Evangelical art and architecture were generally middlebrow, garish, and naive. The best attempts of Christian hipsters and Bono acolytes notwithstanding, evangelical pop culture felt ingenuous and tacky. The stuff of Kirk Cameron movies and Christian rock music geared to an undemanding audience and easily dismissed by anyone outside the circle of the devout. Much of it was theologically embarrassing as well. The old mistakes of fundamentalism pervaded millenarian kitsch like the Left Behind novels, while a pseudo-Christian prosperity theology suffused the world of cable televangelism. These cultural deficits reflected a failure of strategic vision as well as a talent deficit, an unwillingness or inability on the part of evangelicals to build the kind of institutions necessary to a vibrant Christian culture. That was really interesting to me, especially coming from a Catholic. And uh, to honestly, it really rings true uh, in a lot of ways. I just think that even when I examine the kind of art that I really like, and I examine the kind of Christians that are making art that I really like, it's not the it's not the left behind books, it's not the God's Not Dead movies, it's stuff like it's stuff like Terrence Malick or Andrei Tarkovsky or kind of these really revered filmmakers that even the secular world accepts, um, and they're not evangelicals, they're you know episcopalian or russian orthodox or i don't know these more stereotypically maybe intellectual branches of christianity so i know this is something that you care a lot about mike you you are a pretty smart guy you're well read your theology is good i think appreciate it i tend to agree with you so what's your take on all that yep yep agreed agreed i think I think we, we put false dichotomies a lot as, as an evangelical church in the sense of, you know, what is the most important thing and how do we attain that thing? Because obviously as someone myself who is convinced that the, the mission of Jesus right, and the salvation of people is the prior, um, how do I say this? That, that ultimately evangelism for the sake of salvation is the highest priority of the church. I believe that. To bring glory to God, to redeem, to bring, offer redemption to people, to be light and darkness. Jesus said, let, let your good work shine. But the thing is, the thing is, in so many different ways, we have assumed that the only way to properly do that is to have simplistic expressions of of Christian culture or just it's just all about you know sharing the gospel and Jesus will just do the rest and at some level fine like i like i have those kind of evangelism tendencies where let's just talk about Jesus you know so i get i get that impulse but I think it's 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 a shame that with so much talent I see in the church, mm-hmm. they almost like fear of creating Christian art because it's just automatically demeaned. Yeah, as it probably should be at this point in, in especially evangelical history. Yeah, we've kind of like made our own dug our own grave there a little bit. As a like, there are the the thing is there are very talented people in this place. So I don't want to, I don't want to make such, I think his, his, it's great generalization. It's been, he said seventies and eighties. So it's been, 
you know, 40, 50 years, whatever. And so, you know, I think we've come a long way, to be honest. I think there is some really good, especially in the music, Christian music. Um, some guys a couple of years ago um, that they were doing some cool stuff out, out of Seattle that I, I knew. Oh, yeah, King's um, Kaleidoscope. And all those guys, yep. Like that, yeah. All those guys that did some good music. Like, it, yeah. were, it was good music. Mm-hmm. They came out of kind of that punk scene and sort of went and, and infiltrated it a little bit with yeah. Jesus music. And um, and I listened to some hip-hop, so I appreciate guys like Lecrae. And, um, who yeah, he's you... he's made a interesting crossover. He's had a lot of secular hip-hop artists on his albums and stuff. Which He has, and people have hated him for it, and some have praised him for it. Either way, the point for me is that, like, the church, the, the primary, as I said, the primary mode of the church is to help people meet Jesus. But we are human, mm. and, and humans create. Right. And and I think that the, the failure of the church in a long time has been to force a divide between what is secular and what is sacred. Right. Right. That that, that, that the sacred things, the Christian things, the whatever. And I think that's just stupid. I think we have to begin to see that Christians, especially who have a theology that God has given you gifts and talents and ability to develop and skill to use should not literally aim to be the best in their field because God's given them the ability mm. to do that, yeah. right? Now, some, you know, I, I also have a theology of limitation and we can get into that probably in another podcast. But the idea that like we have a theology that literally says God has given you talents, maximize them. Like that, like I, to me, that is part of the message. And God wants to redeem that because mm-hmm. we can use our talents for yeah. evil things, 100%, yeah. right? And it's funny that the people who maybe would have some wrong motive tend to be the best at certain things mm. because they see the value in that because yeah. it can bring them what they want. Why would we not use that? Like to me, it's like if we want to transform culture, we have to be the best ones at making it. Yeah. Like, it like it doesn't make sense to me that that we don't allow or not even allow because what Christian like, no, you can't make good art, but like we don't truly try to triumph it. And I think it's because um, especially in the modern evangelical progressive contemporary world, whatever you want to call it, um, it, it, it is, and we, the way I want to say it, because I, I, I don't want to make, again, sweeping statements, but certain theological traditions mm. tend to focus on certain, certain aspects of developing the Christian culture. So, right, like some kind of more Baptist-y reformed have colleges yeah good colleges re- respected colleges mm-hmm. right who try to produce he even talked about how like our theologians and or whatnot um and some even try to get to the liberal arts side of it and try to create some of those more humanities and whatnot um and think deeply about christian art yeah but i find that the general evangelical christian church right is um kind of like again i don't want to say it too strongly but kind of anti-intellectual i think that produces a very low value on things of culture of art right of beauty of aesthetic of 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 innovation of technology and like we have if there's any if there's any worldview that should produce good creative things it should be the one that starts with in the beginning god created yeah yeah right like i think that that should be how it goes and and so I agree with his assessment on generally. I think it's obviously it's a it's a 
it is a quick history, so I understand like he can't go into detail, and uh, he probably doesn't have any motivation to go into detail on the good stuff. But um, I do agree that the moment we we give up the Christian mind for simply Christian emotion and Christian sort of experientialism, which is valuable. Like I like at our church, we talk about it that the heart, the head, and the hands of God being encountered. Right, that's it's God's love, power, and truth. It's 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 experience. It's it's doctrine. It it is action. It is justice. Like all those things matter, but I think that we've tried to simplify, um, or make simplistic the things of of Christian thought and theology to the point where it's like if you talk too much about scholarship and academic and culture, and then you you you're, you're kind of not on fire anymore, or you're not whatever. And like like in all the grace in my heart willfully dumb Christians are not good. It's not, it's not a good thing, yeah. right? And and I think that's that's some of the danger we can get into. And, and uh-huh. again, I want to I want to tread that lightly because yeah. I don't think people are always willfully. Yeah. But I think it it's just true. We have chosen to make easy Christian explicit in the sense of the messaging art and music and in culture and in, in, in movies is the big one, obviously with all that stuff. And it's like, why? Like just make a good film. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like to me, when I, when I look at Christian art, I am often left asking, who is this for? Like, I don't feel like it's actually for me. Like I feel like it's, it's aimed at a level below me, but I also feel like, so to the point of, you know, art as evangelism or art as shaping culture, it's like, I don't know. If it's for people outside of the church, I don't think you're winning them over with your simplistic art either. Like, I don't... Is it that the message is too hard for them to digest? Is that why you're making it so easy and and simple and dumbed down? Because I don't think that's working. And then I think that if you get rid of them and you get rid of people like me who, you know, just want to watch a good movie and listen to some songs that are meaningful to me, um, that you're just left with... Christians who that's okay for and what all you're going to do is just reinforce a really shallow theology I think and a really shallow way at, of looking at creativity and and uh and excellence and just what God's all about. I think if anything if we're going to create Christian art it should be art that is making us think and making us really reflect. Yeah, I think there in there could be theories in this that I could completely wrong on, but I think part of it is the stemming from that kind of protestant reformation of you know scripture only right in in how there was kind of a push not just away from the doctrines of catholicism at the time but also i think the culture of catholicism at the time mm-hmm. in the sense of it wasn't about stained glass and statues and in you know mm-hmm. art necessarily because that could distract you from the purpose which i agree it can mm-hmm. that is like a wide swing well it's all about the bible all about the word all about these things and we would agree yes it's all about the bible it's all about the word but like you can use art right and the funny thing about it is sermons are art right yeah. it like it, that i don't even know that's grammatically correct sermon giving a sermon is art right yeah. it, it is a craft that you need to get good at communication is is art and so like the irony is just it's the art that they wanted the art that that came from was what was easy in their sort of realm probably of expertise or whatever it was. I don't know. I'm, I'm making again, generalizations of the past, but I found that that was one thing that I saw and even doing some history is it went from these elaborate and expensive and probably sometimes 
excessive buildings and architecture and you know paintings and, and windows and whatnot that that create a sense of awe to the opposite strip it down it's all about Jesus it's all about this and I again I agree it's all about Jesus but we don't have to throw the baby out with bathwater you know in, in this regard that art should do this now I think I I do think there is nuance here around specifically Christian film because of its ability to portray the human condition in a way that I do think we need to be careful. I think Christian yeah. film should be honest, redemptive, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what we call redemptively optimistic, mm-hmm. right? Not be naive, but also like not just give in to the narrative of culture. I think we have to make yeah. good film, mm-hmm. but like it doesn't have to be, you know, just just overdone with, you know, what we would consider, you know, lewdness and sexuality and, 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 and excessive like again I'm not I'm not thrown off by some language in, in a movie but it's like their point where it's like that's just like that's unnecessary what you're doing right? yeah I don't yeah I don't think you should you shouldn't uh, shy away from engaging with you know sin and darkness and things like that in your movies but um, you also shouldn't like I, I don't think if I were to create art I don't want to put more bad images and more unpleasantness into the world than there already is well we have a redemptive story and that needs to be communicated in all honesty because the thing is world is the world's broken and and that's the thing i think we need to connect through as christians is the human story right Mm -hmm. every that like that's why you don't have to be a christian to make good art no because you're human yeah right and and you're dealing with beauty and love and and desire and pain that Every human is going to go through. The issue is we have a redemptive endpoint, mm-hmm. and so like in music, you should sing your love songs. Like yeah. do it. Like Song of Solomon. Have you not read? Like that's explicit. There's some stuff in there that you probably don't want your kid to read, but it's there. It is celebrating the glorious union of 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 mm-hmm. Christian marriage, right? And like we we should not be afraid to create real things, but I think there is a level of we can transcend. Some yeah. things into the redemptive aspect, yep. right? And that's where I think music might be a great, easier example of it because we can sing our human songs mm-hmm. to the glory of God, yeah. and we can sing that common story um, of pain, of trial, of waiting, of lo- like the Psalms, right? Like just the longing, God, where are you? And have those things in a way that's actually like excellent. That, that and that's yeah. where some of those guys in Seattle I think did a really good job, and they did excellent music. But in, in in those groanings, yeah. those longings, yeah, right? for sure. Like I think the most compelling Christian music I listen to would be like, well, I, it, you couldn't even really call it Christian music, but it's people that believe in God, and it's like Julian Baker or Sufjan Stevens who, and they sing about their pain a lot, probably more than anything. But there is there is that crying out to God in it, and like that's the stuff that really resonates with me. Um, I think you hit on something really interesting earlier, um, just before this about. Uh, treading that careful line of how we portray the faith and portray the human condition in Christian movies. Because I, I was listening to a podcast recently where they were interviewing an actor who was auditioning for this Christian movie, and he read the script. And at one point, like he, he plays a character who who is missing an arm, and then he goes and gets prayer for it in church, and then his his arm grows back. And, and they were going to make a movie about that. And then, of course, there's the Left Behind movies that portray, you know, the the end times in this certain 
very fictionalized way. Um, I shouldn't say like their books first. Now that then there were movies and there were video games too. It's <laughs> it's crazy. People love those. Um, and like like I think there is a lot of danger to that. And I think I think there's a danger in just getting culture to mock mock these things that are actually probably deserve to be mocked. But I, that just puts us in a really uncomfortable place. I think when people make bad Christian art. Well, I think that it 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 just exposes something that we. Number one, I've actually heard people say essentially that Christians are just an easy market. It's just an easy people to make money off of because we will buy it. And the thing is, we perpetuate cheesy Christian movies and, and T-shirts and dumb stuff because we'll buy it. And yeah. we'll, and the thing is, I, I and I sort of make fun of it sometimes, but I actually think it's an issue where where we actually have this kind of thought that like the explicit Christian message of like God wins or whatever is almost like there's my evangelism. I brought my friend to this movie. Mm. It's or like I wear the t-shirt, you know, Jesus saves and him yeah. as a goalie, some dumb stuff like that. It's like Or we share something on Facebook like if you repost this, well, you truly love God. Well only old never mind. <laughs> never mind, never mind, never mind back it up. Um but this I think it actually is kind of like a a, a laziness yeah. that like I can just put this message out there and I've done my job to evangelize almost. Because when we see evangelism through art, which I think art is evangelism, it's meant to evoke a conversation and the best art will start conversation. We'll meet something in the human that's like true. I want that. I that 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 that, that speaks something. But I feel like we allow and we perpetuate kind of the cheesiness to happen mm-hmm. because it is easy. Like to to just put a t-shirt out there, put a bumper sticker out there. And it's like, well, look at, I'm proud of my faith. Cause I, you know, have the fish on the back of my car, right? Like it's just dumb stuff like that. Where our, our Christian culture, I think sometimes abdicates personal responsibility to art in a way that is just, I don't know. Whenever I watch these movies, it's just, it's so, it's not, and the thing is they're not nece- necessarily bad lessons. Prayer works. Great lesson great lesson right um you know that our theology is not just some crumbling straw house that some atheists can just come over and kick like yeah. agreed right i would say ours is stronger right like i think that there is the good lessons i think that's what christians are like yeah well at least it had a good message it's not like that other show you know with all the sex in it you know it's not game of thrones or something like that and so it's good it's like what passes because the message is good and and like and, and something i heard today and i think it's very true is that really the message only gets heard if the medium captures attention, mm. right? And so if you're making a message to try to let people know who don't know Jesus that prayer works, so try it, in a medium that no one's going to want to watch or hear or listen to. Like as a sermon writer, that's what I think about all the time. Like I almost try to, I almost probably over critique myself thinking like, is anyone actually going to care about what I'm saying right now? Is anyone going to actually pay attention? Do I'm going to, do I have... You know, I usually preach about 45 minutes. Do I actually have 45 minutes of, of, of worthwhile stuff that the, the good message I have of grace is going to get heard because their attention is mine, yeah. right? And I think that's the issue is people assume the message makes up for the mess. And and for us as Christian artists, which, you know, I'm not really an artist, but whatever, Christian creative, right? We do need to consider the medium. And, and that's where a guy like, I actually really appreciate like Erwin McManus down at Mosaic in LA where they're trying to create art. And sometimes it's like, I don't really like that because at least they're on the edge of something. Or I read one of his books about how 
He believes the church should create culture, be on the front end, not 20 years behind, not 10 years. Like we should be with culture, seeing what the trends are, trying to create good and, and catchy in the most popular way art because then they will give us their attention. Like that's the thing. Like what is advertising? Attention seeking. What is like you don't get to be huge on, you know, Spotify or whatever if you have bad music. So you can have a music that just it's all about love of Jesus and it's great message and look. And we often will say like, you know, God bless him. Such a good song. And what we mean is the lyrics were really nice in the sense of they had good theology. Yeah. Not that the song was actually good. Yeah. Oh, what a, what a what 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 a nice movie. We, sure, but was it a good movie? And I think where we as Christians have given up kind of our intellectualism um, to try to kind of like recover in maybe a positive way from like a dry faith, we've gone way too far at times and we've sort of stopped thinking yeah. about some of this stuff as if it doesn't really matter. But I think it does. Christian education matters and not to create those bubbles but of, of like Christian culture, but like that is what culture does we creates these spaces and it indoctrinates ideas and worldviews and it communicates through art and every kind of media like again maybe you could get what is the definition of art and then we could get real you know into that but just this idea that the message is good fine but is the medium good is is what you've created worth someone's attention because then you're like and this is going to seem so undetected or unattached but one time a missionary, um, no, it was, it, was, it was my professor in a missions class, quoted a missionary who said a very simple statement. And it was simply this, right? Empty stomachs have no ears. Mm. That, you, right? that, that you can go and preach Jesus all you want, but if the kid, like in this case going to Africa, these kids are starving, that's like, you can preach all you want. They're hungry, yeah. right? And, and, and so you got to feed body and soul. That's the Christian call. Right, we would want to feed the feed the body to feed the soul because that is the ultimate call of the Christian. Don't get me wrong, right? And you, you've been around me enough. Like, I'm always preaching about reaching people for Jesus, but you have to put people in a place where they are willing and able to give attention to hear. Yeah, the ground has to be fertile. Right, and sometimes that, and if we're talking about Christian art specifically, right, we have sometimes abdicated that. For the sake of mission, when it's part of the mission, especially if you're if you're trying to create some kind of art in that, like, you know, we can try to. I think maybe the best kind of Christian art today in this regard of would be the satirical, making fun of Christian culture, because it's like, right, like that stuff is great. But the point being that there that there should be a, there like there should be. And I don't want to even using the word evangelical in this context is just whatever, but. Well, just we would consider who we would consider, you know, historically orthodox and, and essentially aligned with our basic doctrines of faith, right? Creedal and all those stuff. Um, like there should be those men and women who are more widely known in culture. Because I'm sure they're out there. I just don't know them are. And I, I want to give them give that honor to people that you're probably out there. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you think of the top names in any kind of category of any kind of art and you're not finding the worldview that should be creating the best art and you're not finding the souls that are being empowered by the spirit of God to be all that God made them to be because there's even like in the old testament like the people who built the temple were were 
anointed by the Spirit of God to do that. It was like a gift of the Spirit to actually create good art. Mm. And that's incredible. That's incredible for, for us. And so I think we need to recover that and want that. And for you, if you are a Christian artist, make good art that's redemptive. Like, be real, be honest, just do a good job. Like, don't sell yourself short and write a cheesy Christian song and say, well, the mess... Like, and again, I don't want to be hateful here, but like, this is why I don't listen to Christian radio a lot of times, right? Because... I don't listen at all. Well, I do listen because some, I enjoy the worship songs, obviously, because, you know, I love Jesus, Sam. Anyways, I'm just kidding. Hey, I, li- I like playing kidding. those songs in church. I'm just kidding. Then... But some of the songs that get on the air, I'm like, just because it's some local person who wrote, like, the worst song ever, does, like... Oh, it just it like because it's out there and people are gonna listen to it and think like this, is no that I, I no that's not what we want, um as sort of like the the Christian definition of good music. Or, Let's not encourage mediocrity. Well, that's the thing. It's it's like in church, right? This just goes on so much. It's it's you have like a young kid or even an older person who like desires to sing, and thinks I should be in the worship team, and. Usually because it's a kid or something, it's like, well, bless their heart, put them up there, and they can't hold a tune, they can't sing at all, but because it's, like, good motivation, their young person's like, well, let's just, like, ruin the worship set. Not that one person can ruin a worship set, but you know what I mean. And it's and it really is, well, you know what, you're mediocre, and you're not really gifted, but we appreciate, you know, the heart. Mm. And sometimes, heart is not all that's necessary. Yeah. To communicate well. Especially if, if, if we believe that art is evangelism, which we do as Christians. Art is mission, which we do as Christians. Art can communicate powerfully, which we do as Christians. That art is not art for art's sake, if you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. Right? Art is an expression of creativity given to you by God for a purpose. And so we should not reward that which is mediocre with our money, I think. The whole time you're talking about um, the medium being important. I was just thinking about that show, the the Sabrina the Teenage Witch show on Netflix. And I was like, man, that was a well-made show. I didn't watch it, but that's what I heard. Are people going to start converting to witchcraft now? Are people going to – we're just going to have a whole bunch of witches in our culture? Is that the consequence of that? Uh, I wouldn't put it past people. Let's be real. Um, well, no, because, again, I think when you're making – because in that case, what are you doing? Now we're getting to storytelling, which is a whole other aspect of especially um, that communicative art, right? And, and right now, some people know, some people don't know. Like my uh, family, we've decided to do some um, homeschooling for our kids just to start them off and figure out if that's the best for them. And a lot of the, the homeschooling stuff deals with narration that we're into, at least, and storytelling, and the power of storytelling, the power of books and reading and all this different stuff. And, and so visual stories, movies, TV shows, right, are powerful communicators of truth, moral truth, yeah. um, cultural truth. And so you, you, what are the lessons being learned in there? 100%. But you know what, Sam? I know you're kind of joking on that one. Nonetheless, nonetheless, I would not put it past people to think, well, Sabrina has a lot of fun being a witch. So maybe... Wicca is what I need to do. Yeah, I, I I actually did read an article that you know more and more people are becoming Wiccan witches and whatnot. Like it's it's a growing thing. Well, if I could comment on that, but the only thing I would say would be that it's evidence for me 
of a hunger for spiritual encounter. And because people aren't necessarily discerning where that's coming from, it, it scratches an itch that the Holy Spirit was meant to fill. This has been The Cast with Sam and Mike. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to hit us up with any questions or comments you have at risencitychurch.com slash cast. And hey, if you want to engage with us live, we have church every Sunday, 10 a.m. at Cameron Heights. We'd love to chat with you, talk with you, and uh, get to know you a little more. So hey, come hang out. Thank you.